Hi, and welcome to Listen Up A-Holes, the only Marvel Cinematic Universe podcast that came for science but is leaving because of witches. Welcome to the new Dark Ages. I'm story expert Lonnie Diane Rich of Chipperish Media. And I'm Joshua Unruh, superhero scholar from Pulp Diction Productions. Together, we're working our way through the good, the bad, and the Peter tingle of the MCU. God, that just sounds dirty. That's why I said so it that way. So listen up, yeah, I figured as much. So listen up, Ailes. We're going to talk about Spider-Man Far From Home. I mean, check it out. I can I can even make it sound even dirtier. Like, Peter. No. no, check it. Peter Tingle. Oh, God. Right? Yeah. Hey. Hey. Would you? Yeah. Would you like to check out? My my Peter Tingle. No, babe. <laughs> All of that's staying in. Hey, let's talk about Mysterio. Yes. Instead of my Peter Tingle or Peter's Peter Tingle <laughs> or Lonnie's Peter Tingle, we're going to talk about Mysterio. Because if you asked me what Spider-Man villain was going to be recreated on the big screen fucking ever... I would never have said Mysterio, and even if I had, I would not have guessed that they had the balls to put that fishbowl on his head. Man, that is awesome. Anyway, I was just, yeah. he just, that's such a comic booky looking. Anyway, all right, so. Mm-hmm. Mysterio was created by Stan Lee and Steve Ditko, so no drinks necessary. Mm -hmm. It's not Stan and Jack. Mm -hmm. And his Mm -hmm. first appearance was in The Amazing Spider-Man number 13, June 1964. He's pretty OG. Uh Uh-huh, yeah. You all may remember from our Homecoming episode that I talked about how in Amazing number 2, which was the Tinkerer's first appearance, Mm -hmm. that the Tinkerer and his men were aliens. Right. Later, Spidey discovers a realistic rubber mask that looks like those aliens, and he realizes, hey, the Tinkerer apparently is not an extraterrestrial. (laughs) This was a retcon Mm -hmm. to change the aliens in issue two into Mysterio and his men in disguise. Uh Uh-huh. The Tinkerer had hired Mysterio and his men to disguise themselves as extraterrestrials in order to steal military and industrial secrets. As you do. As you do. I'm a big (laughs) fan of it. And my favorite part of this is this is a pretty Mm -hmm. serious retcon, honestly, in its way, right? Like, it doesn't change huge stuff, but it's a pretty big sea change for a couple of characters. 11 Mm -hmm. issues. That's it. In between. (laughs) Might be a record. So the 616 Mysterio is also named Quentin Beck, but his name Mm -hmm. and the costume, which again, I legit cannot believe made it to the screen this faithfully, (laughs) is about it for similarities. There's not a lot Mm -hmm. else overlapping between them. 616 Mysterio is an expert in practical special effects. He's a professional stuntman. He's a master illusionist, a hypnotist, and a stage magician, Mm -hmm. as well as an amateur with his toe on the precipice of professional chemist and robotics engineer wow yeah all of that is he used to Mm -hmm. do special effects for movies so he Mm -hmm. knows how to do all that stuff right all right and in fact that's where we find him in his backstory he worked for a movie studio and tried to make a move from stuntman to actor but Mm -hmm. it didn't take deciding Mm -hmm. he was in a dead-end career he made the move to a life of crime instead because he believed his skills right yeah I mean, well, if you're looking at the resume, it's like uh, Mm -hmm. uh, movie special effects stuntman, master criminal. A lot of overlap. That Venn diagram, (laughs) very nearly a circle, if we're honest. But naturally, he ran afoul Mm -hmm. of Spider-Man, got his fishbowl handed to him. (laughs) I'm just, you know, he's got a big bowl on his head. It's so great. It, it is great. I do like the fishbowl. It's kind man, of adorable. Mm-hmm. Man. And just, anyway, I just, you know, you look at it and you're like, well, sure, in 1964. And then you're like, what is this? Jake Gyllenhaal signed up for this. Fantastic. Since initially getting beaten by Spider-Man, he has nearly driven Daredevil insane. Mm-hmm. With special effects and whatnot, right? Like yeah. making him think his world is all different. He nearly convinced Spider-Man to unmask in public, but no, Mm -hmm. we needed to wait for Tony Stark to do that. 
Yeah. <laughs> I was just leaving a little space for shade there. Um, yeah, I get it. I got it. <laughs> and he's done a host of other illusions, right? He's a mm-hmm. semi-regular member of Spidey's number one villainous team up, the Sinister mm-hmm. Six. Ooh. Despite the fact that the rest of the six have a lot more obvious power than him, but they still mm-hmm. keep inviting him back because that's how good he is at what he does. Uh-huh. All right. Now, this film nods at one of the weirder bits of Mysterio backstory, though. <laughs> At one point, Beck claims to be from a parallel Earth in Far From Home, right? Right. This may be because the 616 Mysterio is also the Mysterio from the Ultimate Universe. Uh Let me explain. In the early 2000s, Marvel created a publishing imprint to create a brand new Marvel Universe Uh that someone could follow from the ground up. It was called... The ultimate universe, the ultimate line, mm-hmm. right? So uh, right. as in you would buy a book called Ultimate Spider-Man or Ultimate X-Men, mm-hmm. right? And the ultimates, because someone finally realized that the Avengers is a bad super team name. It really is. It's, it's not really, a great name. No. The yeah. ultimates is actually an improvement. It's probably the <laughs> only thing that's an improvement in that book, honestly. But. <laughs> okay. So... Somewhere along the line, when the 616 Spidey found himself in the Ultimate Universe and teaming up with that universe's second Spider-Man, uh, mm-hmm. a young man you may have heard of named Miles Morales. Oh, I love Miles Morales. While, yeah, he's the second. He took over as Spider-Man when the uh, when the Ultimate Universe Peter Parker was murdered in the street by the Green Goblin. Oh. It's very sad. That's super spoilery. But it was like after, I don't know, 10 years of comics. And it's really good. Like it is gut-wrenching and heart-wrenching. But anyway, Miles takes over. Mm -hmm. Miles and 616 Pete team up. And while Pete is in the Ultimate Universe, he discovers that the Ultimate Mysterio is actually an android avatar of the 616 Mysterio who was trying to see if he could take over the Ultimate Universe somehow. Uh You know, just low key, just, uh, you know, (laughs) and really, in a way that and the constant invitations to the Sinister Six and the fact that he has nearly driven people crazy with his Mm -hmm. with his technology, with his just his raw know how is one of my favorite things about Mysterio. This motherfucker thinks big. <laughs> he does. And I'm down. I'm down for it. Yeah. Oh, mm-hmm. I'll just send an, uh, an Android version of myself to another universe to take over. It'll probably work out. <laughs> I love it. Okay. The elementals, mm-hmm. air quotes, in this movie... I want to talk about them a little bit. I believe that I've mentioned before on this very podcast that most superhero rogues galleries are utter trash with three exceptions. Batman, Mm -hmm. Spider-Man and The Flash. Mm -hmm. Now, all three of them got there, honestly, by never throwing a villain idea away. Like, no matter how (laughs) silly, we're going to run with it. And then either it'll stick. Mm hmm. You know, it'll stick around long enough that it'll grow gravitas or we'll yeah. pretend that we never actually heard of Signal Man, the Kangaroo or the Rainbow Raider. That's one of each right there. But what you might not realize is that each of these elementals are based on just a handful of the deadly foes of Spider-Man. Now, mm-hmm. I'm not going to go into a big thing about each one of these characters because they're not really characters in the movie. But trust me when I say that Spider-Man has repeatedly fought each of these guys. Hydro-Man, <laughs> the Molten Man, the Sandman, and Cyclone. All right. Which you can all recognize in various mm-hmm. types of, you know. Like sure. if you were like, why is the guy who's made out of fire getting bigger and stronger because of melted metal? Because he's actually the Molten Man, kind of. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So each of those are actual characters in the 616, but like I said, I'm not going to go all crazy mm-hmm. into it. But but mm-hmm. notice, the people who make the Spider-Man movies are also like, hot damn, we have some good villains. Let's use Mysterio, I guess, and turn <laughs> the rest of them into puppets. Okay, I want to talk about Nick Fury recruiting mm-hmm. Peter Parker. Okay. Okay. Mm -hmm. So it's a good thing that I briefly mentioned the Ultimate Universe up top because Mm -hmm. I have to bring it up again. Mm -hmm. One of the things I hate most about this movie is that we replaced one abusive father figure with the ghost of an abusive father figure and also a brand new, even more abusive father figure. (laughs) And that one is Nick Fury. (laughs) Nick Fury recruiting or wanting to recruit Spider-Man is an ongoing Mm -hmm. plot point in the Ultimate Universe. All right. 
Ultimate Peter Parker was bitten by a genetically altered spider created by Norman Osborn while he was on a school trip and he gained spider powers. Pretty mm-hmm. standard stuff, right? Right. Nick Fury, of course, knows his secret identity right away. It's Nick Fury's mm-hmm. fucking job. It's fine. <laughs> And and let me point out, here in a minute, we're going to talk about why secret identities are good, actually, right? But I don't have a problem with ultimate Nick Fury knowing ultimate Spider-Man's secret identity. It's his job, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So ultimate Nick, however, is an unprincipled shitheel who will do anything to protect the world from threats of his choosing. (laughs) Yeah. There's a whole other conversation for us to have about how much of the aesthetic of the MCU is rooted in the Ultimates version of the Avengers. And yet, most of us who read superhero comics do not talk about the Ultimates anymore. It's kind of wild. Yeah. <laughs> and, I, and I bring that up because you can see the unprincipled mm-hmm. heel who protects from threats yeah. mm-hmm. in the MCU Nick Fury. Okay. Yes. Nick knows Pete's secret identity. He has a chat with Pete and explains that as an unauthorized, superpowered person, Peter mm-hmm. will become the property of S.H.I.E.L.D. upon his 18th birthday. That's a quote. The property of S.H.I.E.L.D. Now, is that probably hyperbole? Eh, maybe a little. But it's <laughs> also basically like, you're not doing another job. You're going to become be an ultimate. Like, that's what's up. Oh, my God. You come and work for S.H.I.E.L.D. when you're 18, Mm -hmm. or you can go to jail for having superpowers that you aren't authorized to have. Like, that's... Oh, my God. That is hugely uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah. Not wildly dissimilar from this film, I feel. Yeah. Not not different enough, I think. (laughs) Now, Ultimate Nick goes on... Mm -hmm to pay the tinkerer of that universe to create spider slayer robots just in case Pete loses it. I uh, That's what he but says. But the tinkerer's a bad guy, though. Nick Fury well, doesn't Nick, care? Nick Fury. Yeah, you know, honestly, <laughs> you know, I'm going to say right now, the ultimate uh-huh. tinkerer may actually be a S.H.I.E.L.D. person. I don't uh-huh. remember. But even if he's not, this is Nick Fury we're talking about. Like, uh, right. oh, oh, I'm sorry. I invented moral adaptability, you know. <laughs> so not only does he make spider slayers, uh-huh. but he also tasks S.H.I.E.L.D. R&D with figuring out a way to remove Peter's spider powers. Like, he just doesn't want to okay. fucking deal with them. Okay. So the idea of Nick Fury bullying Peter into working for S.H.I.E.L.D. isn't new. And to prove Mm -hmm. that Disney can sanitize anything if they try hard enough, (laughs) this is also the basis for the ultimate Spider-Man cartoon that's on right now, that's available Uh right now. Uh However, in that one, Fury does away with the 18th birthday deadline and just recruits Peter as a teen and then teams him up. Oh, yeah, it's fine. You know, it's like summer (laughs) camp where you might die. (laughs) Nick then teams him up with an entire S.H.I.E.L.D.-owned team of other super-powered teenagers. Mm -hmm. It is, in fact, exactly as unethical as it sounds. Yeah, that sounds pretty bad. Yeah, it's not good. So the thing is, the Ultimate Spider-Man book had Peter wetting himself in terror at the idea of being owned by the government, which is the correct response. It did not paint Fury as the good guy at all. Mm-hmm. Which is also entirely appropriate. Right. Unfortunately, the MCU that roots itself in the ultimate aesthetic doesn't take as dim a view of Fury, in my opinion. Right. right. Yes. You see there, because this is the second Spider-Man movie that should have ended with Peter telling an abusive adult to go fuck themselves and then failed to do that. I'm a little salty. Yeah. Just a little. Yeah. <laughs> I'm really mad about it. I don't like how everybody treats Peter. Uh, no, no, it sucks. Okay. I have two little, little, just one big thought and one small thought. Okay. In fact, I have one more four color fact and then I have a four color opinion. Okay. Mm -hmm. My last four color fact for this is secret identities are good actually. Uh Uh-huh. If there is a thing that's integral to the superhero concept that is nevertheless massively underutilized in the MCU, it's secret identities. Mm -hmm. It's also good villains, but it's primarily secret identities. (laughs) Now, sure. When Superman first shows up, the idea of a secret identity is initially inserted as part of the power fantasy. You change Mm -hmm. something about yourself and suddenly everyone can see your power and your worth. Right. Mm -hmm. That's where it starts. Don't Mm -hmm. discount the power fantasy. But now there's so much more. They're a point of conflict. 
Who mm-hmm. does the hero tell? Who does he trust? What about the best friend that then becomes a villain? Because let me tell you, that shit comes up now and then. Uh-huh. And by now and then, I mean fairly regularly. Every movie. <laughs> sure. What about the girlfriend? What about your uh-huh. parents? How do his superhero friends react when he won't reveal his identity to them? That's a Spider-Man specific Mm -hmm. question. Pete's real Mm -hmm. tight with that secret identity, you know, except for Civil War, but whatever, to the point where he had friends on the Avengers that were like, are you going to take that mask off? And he's like, no, I'm not. But thanks for asking. You know, Uh yeah. Who is in danger if the hero's identity is found out? And how is his life changed or even ruined if they find out? These are all really big conflict generating questions that you can't have Mm -hmm. without secret identities but they're also a contention between the hero and his supporting cast hell they let you damn near maintain two entirely separate supporting casts made from the same people (laughs) because if there's overlap between those casts then you kind of get that third one where it's like Mm -hmm. how are they going to react to him in costume versus out of costume right yeah Mm -hmm. Being a hero that your mom hates while she dotes on you. <laughs> I mean, that's that's some Spider-Man stuff. Aunt May hates right. Spider-Man or comic book. Aunt May hates Spider-Man, loves Peter. Mm-hmm. And that's uh-huh. the co- instant right. conflict. OK, mm-hmm. what happens when someone who bullies you in your civilian persona idolizes your heroic persona? How are you supposed to mm-hmm. react to that? Right. <laughs> Million permutations for secret identity crises just all over mm-hmm. the place. But I'm going to also point out that in the end, they are also simply practical. Yeah. Let's say, just as a for instance, I don't know where I would get this from, but let's just say I'm a Kansas farm boy who discovers he has great powers (laughs) and winds up defending Earth from an intergalactic despot. Maybe I don't want the intergalactic despot knowing where my mom lives. Right. Mm -hmm. You know what? Forget intergalactic despots. Maybe I just don't want the rich asshole that I tussle with weekly to know that there's a farm with a mortgage on it. Right. Mm -hmm. Okay. Let's say you're a poor kid from Queens. Again, I'm just pulling stuff out of thin air. I don't know where I would get it. Just let's say you're a poor kid from Queens who just wants to help without being sued into oblivion when when you save someone and they still get a little scuffed up. Mm hmm. Right. Mm hmm. Uh, I'm here to serve Spider-Man. Cool. He's a fictional person. (laughs) (laughs) Also, I usually spend most of my time way high where you can't serve me, right? (laughs) Let's say you're a teenager minding your own business on a school trip. Again, I'm just spitballing. Mm -hmm. And you don't want to get press ganged into service by an asshole spy master with no ties to any nation state who is also going to be really irresponsible with your secrets. (laughs) Keeping a good secret identity might put a buffer between you and him. Mm Or what, here's a very 2020 question for you, or what if you witness a police officer doing something incredibly unethical that puts other people in danger? Stopping him from behind a mask is significantly easier on the rest of your life. Mm -hmm. We just live in a world where authority cannot be easily trusted, where it's clear Mm -hmm. that anyone who would want to be in charge should not be in charge. (laughs) A world where doing good while hiding who you really are isn't just selfless, it's also self-protective. And so Mm -hmm. in short, friends, secret identities are good, actually. Feel free to at me, MC Universe. You're fucking it up. You're fucking it up bad. (laughs) All right. Here's the thing. Generally, narratively, I'm not a big fan of the quote unquote secret because because when somebody's lying or when they're keeping a secret from each other, that is usually a form of false conflict. Most conflict, um, if you can have a conversation and clear it up, is false conflict. That said, I think that all of your arguments for the secret identity within the superhero for all of the reasons that you laid out are actually the exception to that rule because they do have so many there's so much lying on that not the least of which is if some asshole knows that this person I love knows who I am you know or finds out who I am and knows like they're going to come after all the people that I love that makes it very very dangerous you know Um, So I actually really, it is the one circumstance in which I give a pass to that, like, keeping a secret (laughs) bullshit, right? Which is usually not a form of conflict that I care for. But I think that in superheroes, absolutely, it makes sense. And it works really, really well. Yeah, I am 
very much on your side as mm-hmm. far as that. Like, mm-hmm. uh, uh, I believe my wife actually sat up while we were watching something a couple of weeks ago and was like, well, this is just false conflict. They should just have Aww. a conversation. And I was like, what the fuck is happening? <laughs> so I agree with you. Mm-hmm. Like 99.99 percent. There's yes. probably another extremely specific example that we don't know. But I'm telling mm-hmm. you, this is a good one. Superheroes are good. Yes. Mm hmm. And not not for nothing, I will reiterate again how much I enjoy any single panel of Daredevil, for instance, where you have three people sitting in the same room, mm-hmm. right? And Foggy's thinking about how much he loves Karen, and Karen's thinking about how much she loves Matt, and Matt's thinking about how much he loves Daredevil. <laughs> but he can't tell that to either one of them. That's gold, baby! Gold! So if I'm being honest, this is more like a four color opinion. I'm just Mm -hmm. laying it out there. But I really like it like across all media and all times. I really like it when superheroes, you know, people with costumes and secret identities have to do superhero shit in civilian clothes. That's all I got. I'm not taking questions. Send tweet. It's amazing every time. I just love it every time. I like it when Batman's dressed like a hobo, but still uses the grapple gun. I fucking Mm -hmm. love it. I love that Peter's just like, "Uh, have web shooters, will travel. Let's go do this thing. I love it. I spent way too much time during the uh, PS4 Spider-Man game once I got the costume that was just him in a Mm -hmm. t-shirt and jeans and his mask. Oh, Oh, I swung around like that all the time because it just made me happy. (laughs) I love that stuff. It's not what I want to see all the time, Uh right? Because I still think that like Luke Cage, for instance... Mm-hmm. Would be more superhero if he actually had a costume. A costume, sure. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but when they're forced into it, especially when they're also like, oh, I gotta like put on some nonsense. I gotta web my face or whatever <laughs> to hide my identity. I love that shit. I love it. Well, good, good. I'm glad that you like it, and that's what makes this movie. Uh, somewhat enjoyable. Uh, Spider-Man Far From Home was released July 2nd, 2019. It was written by Chris McKenna and Eric Summers, who you may remember from uh, Spider-Man Homecoming and also Ant-Man and the Wasp. They wrote that one. Uh, Directed by John Watts, uh, who also directed Spider-Man Homecoming. Uh, This film took in $1.13 billion. It's a billion with a B, which is huge money, even for Marvel, and especially for kind of like a... uh, The Spider-Man movies are kind of... They're not the like mainstream like Avenger title movies they're kind of like the B you know the second string player Uh, to make that kind of money on a second string hero I think is is really great although I will say that Spider-Man as second string heroes go pretty freaking awesome I'm going to say right now, let me just say for all my comic book reading people that are listening to this and hearing you say that Spider-Man is like a second tier hero you're right for the MCU. For the MCU, but that the way is, the MCU but that presents. Is a, yeah, yes. just but just like for for like everything for all time, that is just the most bonkers ass statement. <sighs> You're right for the MCU, but even I'm standing here going, I want to argue about this. Right. I am not okay with that characterization. But this is how Spider-Man is presented, I think, within In the MCU. The MCU. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. I mean, I do understand that what a big deal. Like Spider-Man, Spider-Man is like the thing for. For yeah. Marvel, Fla- like that's my understanding. The yeah. flagship character, Spider-Man's yeah. the dude. Um, and you know, and there's a lot of reasons why you really, really like Spider-Man, but the, they do kind of relegate him to a second-string status it's, as far yeah, as the MCU absolutely. goes. Um, the up-and-comer, yeah. if nothing else. And up yeah, and comer. And I think actually there could be some really fun stuff to do with Spider-Man if they stop fucking around. But we'll talk about that in just a minute. Um, the Rotten <laughs> Tomatoes rating for this movie is 91% with the critics and 95% with the audience. So I mean, people really, really super liked it and I have to say like I don't hate this movie at all there's a lot of stuff in this movie that I really like enjoyed and there's Mm -hmm, a mm -hmm. lot of things in it that I like I like um, Spider-Man I love Tom Holland as Spider-Man you know I love the character of Peter Parker Uh, there's a lot of things in this movie that I actually really did enjoy but for the most part I was just bored and I'm still figuring out why, because it's got a lot of stuff that I like. It's got identity stories, right, which is huge for me. Mm-hmm. And, of course, I love that in superhero comics and superhero fiction. Like a multi-layered, yeah. like almost a more than one conversation oh, yeah. like that. Yeah. No, there's so much. I mean, not to mention the Am I Iron Man thing, which is throwing in an additional identity into this. When the, he is not, the mantle, he is not ready to pick up, clearly, as he gives it to the first person passing by on the street as soon as he has it, right? Um, I'm going to blame that on Nick Fury later. 
when we talk okay. about it, by the way. <laughs> so I like Peter wrestling with his uncertainty at wanting to be, you know, like a big time Avengers level superhero, which is what basically is being offered to him, you know, in this mm-hmm. in this movie. Um, but for me, like none of it really lands. I don't really feel terribly connected with the whole thing. I think part of that is the Mysterio um, Mysterio, when we're introduced to him. Now, of course, I had no idea because I don't know anything about the history of right. it or whatever. So yes. for me, that twist actually landed. Like, it was a surprise for me when he became a villain. The second he did, I was like, oh, thank fucking God, because this character was so freaking stupid. There was nothing in that. That character was a flat freaking pancake the whole time. And um, and so, like, it wasn't, there wasn't anything interesting about him. He was a little bit too much. And I mean, had I... Had I not been so bored by it anyway, that's like, you know, hey, let's go on a school trip to Europe. Like the whole world just went through this unbelievable experience and we're all acting like it's not a big deal, which is something else I'm going to get to in a little bit, because that actually is one of the things I really don't like about this movie. Um, As soon as Mysterio flips, I'm I'm more interested in it, you know, but by that time, we're like an hour into the movie and we've been hanging out with this dude this whole time and who really cares and all of his dialogue is flat 1960s like bad 1960s you know like dialogue (laughs) it's just such a flat character um and the thing is is that we get to this in the end with mysterio there's this moment where he says people need to believe and nowadays they'll believe anything which sounds like such a good thematic line, um, you know, especially aside the false realities that he set up with the drones, right? You know, but I don't think that it pulls enough resonance in from the rest of the story to make that land. It's something yes. that, like, I wanted that in the beginning. I want this guy saying that in the beginning. I want to, and actually, he might have. I was so bored, Joshua. I was so bored in this whole movie. Yeah, I okay. Let me let me posit a couple of scenarios okay. and see if I can pin this down because there is a lot of like really entertaining stuff going on in there this is. movie. Mm-hmm. Plot wise, though, it feels like two movies that got smooshed together, mm-hmm. right? Like mm-hmm. I would love to see. Clearly, I have tipped my hand previously <laughs> in the four color facts. Right. I would love to see a Peter Parker on a school trip mm-hmm. for the entire movie with no privacy (laughs) and an imminent threat that he has to try and deal with Uh without everybody figuring out his stuff. I would love that. Two hours of that, amazing, Mm -hmm. right? Like, and then a lot of the stuff with MJ probably lands better because Mm -hmm. because she's more present and he has to hurt her feelings more often. I mean, you know, like it's Mm -hmm. not just one or two times carrying all this weight. It's just a constant like pattern. That movie would have been great. Mm -hmm. Like kind of a little lower stakes, but again, compared to Endgame, these stakes are in the basement. Well, yeah, no matter what, after Endgame, you're gonna have lower stakes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, and and Spider-Man should broadly have lower stakes. So I'm cool with that. So that question is like, in this situation, who do I want to be Peter Parker or Spider-Man, right? Right. Like Mm -hmm. I want to enjoy my trip and be Peter Parker, but this responsibility, that's one movie. The other movie is Nick Fury showing up and just like demanding that you step up to the A-team right now and deal with this bigger problem. These are two separate films. Yes. Yes. I think so. And both would have Mm -hmm. been better separate. I think you would have been more entertained because we could have done more thematically with Mysterio Mm -hmm. if we weren't also dicking around with high school bullshit. Look, look, I love these high school hijinks. I want them. Mm -hmm. But they they soak up too much of the Mysterio oxygen or Mysterio soaks up too much of the high school oxygen. Yeah. And you're left with this kind of mid middling lukewarm. But it's it's so it's like not personal at all, too, which is part of it. Like in, um, you know, in the first one, it was his girl's dad, you know? And I mean, uh, granted, we didn't discover that until right at the end. But I mean, there was like this connection We'd also been watching him do the high school stuff, like have to sneak out of the party and screw Ned Mm -hmm. over. And Mm -hmm. we watched him do all of that stuff, which was tied to either his high school experience in general Mm -hmm. or these girls he might like, you know, more specifically. Mm -hmm. So even then, we didn't get the vulture connection until late in the game, but we knew what we were doing. (laughs) But, But everything was really was deeply 
personal and it felt more connected yeah. you know um and this doesn't feel that connected it's just he's on this trip and this happens to be happening in europe where he just happens to be and then of course if spider-man shows up in europe then you know so he can't do that he has to be the night monkey or whatever you know all of this ridiculous <laughs> shit you know um i do i like nick fury coming in and being you know the antagonist in this saying i need you to be part of this team and and not recognizing like peter struggling with that struggling with Tony's yeah. loss struggling with all of these things like I think that that's really good and I actually quite like that um, I think for me the problem comes not just we're coming we're coming in on the heels of Endgame right which was a huge massive thing but Endgame we had this experience of the trauma that everybody went through like we were in mm-hmm. deep deep mm-hmm. emotional stakes then we come into this movie and it is like this funny cute little movie with May at a fundraiser telling the funny ha story of how she came back from the dead and it wasn't her apartment anymore and now she doesn't have a place to live and isn't that funny um all of these kids right you know um mj ned uh, peter like all they all were gone for five years and they come back and the world has gone on without them brad Brad, by the way, Brad, by the way, the actor who plays Brad, by the way, is 34 years old. But Brad, the character of Brad, was 11 when they died, right? And they Mm -hmm. come back, and now he's their contemporary. Like, the whole thing is so freaking weird. And the fact that we treat what would be a completely traumatic experience, because not just, you know, did you lose five years and the world went on and now you're coming back in. There are people that you knew who were your age five years ago who are now not even part of your circle. In those right. five years, there are people, plenty of people died of natural causes. You come back and you've got grief to deal with on top of everything else. You've lost five years of your life. You've lost five years of existence. All of that has got to be like really, really traumatizing. Not to mention the fact that for most people, I mean, not Peter, because May was gone, Ned was gone, MJ was gone, like all right, the people, like, right. everybody was gone with him that he really cared about, you know. But for most people, you're coming back and, you know, your parents are five years old or you know your your mom or was gone and your dad was here or... right like there's so many things that you gotta deal with it is a traumatizing national apocalyptic not national global apocalyptic you know experience and then they come back and they're like we're gonna call it a blip make it a joke and then just act like it never ever happened and to me that it feels so dismissive of something that is is a big deal. And when you do something that big, you have to let that resonate throughout the rest of your stories. And it's okay for, you know, for Peter Parker to have a little bit of darkness. It's not like our Spider-Man movies in the MCU tend to be a little bit lighter. Peter's super quippy. He's your friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. You know, he's just that dude, right? Um, and that's all sweet and everything. But we just had this hugely traumatic experience. Not to mention the fact that he has, he remembers saying to Tony, I don't want to go, right? Then he's gone for five years. Then when he comes back, it's the middle of this big fight. And then Tony dies. Like, he's yeah, experienced. Yeah. He was in the middle of that fight. That was a scary freaking experience and so like this kid is 16 years old and we are completely erasing all of his trauma from these experiences and all of all of their trauma ned's trauma mj's trauma everybody here should be dark and beardy either literally or you know (laughs) metaphorically for a little while until they work through all of this stuff and So there's this thing in fiction that happens actually quite a lot, which is trauma erasure, right? We want the big dramatic moment. We want the big stakes. We want all of this stuff. So we do it. And then afterward, when we follow along with these characters, we're like, nope, they're fine now. No big deal. This this terrible frig, we put them through hell. And no, they're fine now. They're just going Mm -hmm. on as though. And that's the thing. Like, those things do change you. Uh, When we introduce trauma in fiction, it creates an opportunity for traumatized people in the audience, which, let's face it, is most of the audience because humans are terrible. We create a culture that is actively abusive to most of us, never mind what we as individuals do to each other. Um, But anyway, 
I don't know where I was. Anyway, it, it creates an opportunity for traumatized people in the audience to safely experience their trauma and process some of it. But when we erase traumatic experiences for our fictional characters and we use the trauma for all the excitement and then fail to deal with it appropriately afterwards, uh, we treat trauma as though you can just pick up and go on. Um, and worse, we associate strength, I say, quote unquote, with our protagonists, right? With just picking up and moving on, no harm done nothing to worry about here, I'm fine, right? Which is not an appropriate response to trauma. An appropriate response to trauma is you got to process that shit before you can be mm -hmm. healed, you know? Um, and we send this message that our strong people, our protagonists, our main characters are just fine. Like they have a terrible thing happen to them, they're totally fine and they pick up and they go on without dealing with it. And that sends a message about how people, how strong people quote unquote respond to trauma. And it's not true. That's not how strong people respond to trauma. Str strong people experience their trauma, work through it and take that time to deal with it. And strong people get dark and beardy, you know? Um, <laughs> They have their Mr. Mom second act and then they come out of it or they don't. Yeah. But that's up to them. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So um, in Endgame, we did address a lot of the trauma. But here we're calling it the blip. The blip. Uh, yeah. OK. OK. So, yes, you nothing you're saying is is wrong. Mm hmm. But I'm th I'm just thinking right about the fact that like one of my complaints for the MCU is that a lot of it sometimes gets to feel a little samey, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, and I'm I'm gonna bring I'm gonna bring that home. That's not what's happening here. I'm just you know, that's a thing, right? And it's because they want it all to fit together, yeah. right? They want they don't want the edges to be that visible when they bring everybody together. Mm -hmm. And so that sometimes can be its own problem. In this case, I'm wondering if, in a certain way, from a certain perspective, if this is the right approach for this movie mm -hmm. for a couple of reasons. Yeah. One is, Endgame took that shit real serious, right? Mm -hmm. So it's not like looking at the world, right? Yeah. The universe created by these movies has taken the trauma very seriously collectively, mm -hmm. right? I don't want every single Spider-Man story that I have to be endless trauma processing and angst, right? right. And so saying, no, we're going to do one that's a little lighthearted on purpose. We're going to build into the story that some, possibly an entire school year mm -hmm. has passed. Yeah. Because it does feel like this is the end of the year, you know? Yeah. That's why they're going on the trip. So it feels like a pretty good chunk of time has passed. Not more than a year, but not less, mm -hmm. I think. You know, somewhere like real in that nine to 12 month space where I'm like, okay, does that give us license to assume that our characters are processing their stuff properly during that time off screen, mm -hmm. you know, between the fact that Endgame took it very seriously, but we want to have a very different movie. Do we want to make this an angst cake? No, we do not. I don't think you need to make it an angst cake, but I think that you need to acknowledge like, and that's the thing. It's like not sure. acknowledge. Mm. Everybody seems fine. May is just happy and giggly. I mean, to even have a moment where people are like, yeah, this, you know, this thing happened and it affects me like or just to have it in their character a little bit you can still have fun you can still laugh traumatized people laugh traumatized uh, trust me i've been laughing for the last four years i got it online. Yeah, we're doing you it know? yeah we're doing exactly. it right now we're doing yeah. it right now so um i mean it's it's not that they can't but it's it's the complete like erasure of it and and the reset it it these characters are as if this never happened. And, it's true. You know, it's true. and I think that I you don't need know to how to do that, that well. I think you can you can do it. You can do it. You know what I'm realizing when I said that it was more like I don't know where I would fit it, which comes back to my this is two movies kind of crammed together mm -hmm. thought, yeah. right? Like if it were just the high school stuff, we could we would have room. Right. You know, to kind of deal with that in terms of his friends and his family. Mm -hmm. And if it were just uh, you know, the fury side of things, then we would have room to do that with Tony. Right. Mm -hmm. But but here we're we're, you know, we're kind of doing yeah. the best we can with what little space we can 
it it's, in. It's a lot. Yeah, it's a lot. And and I think that you're right. I think that the Mysterio European high school trip is one thing and the Fury forcing him into the Avengers is another thing and that those are like yeah. separate kinds of stories. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I that think let that us talk about can, his trauma right, in two very different contexts. That you can address it a little bit because the thing is there is a lot. Like, you know, you see like the, the, the look on his face, you know, after all of these, um, you know, I mean, he's crying in half of these scenes, like after at yeah. the end of these fights. So we do get something, I think, in Tom Holland's performance that does bring that in, you know, but I don't think we get it textually and we don't get it with any of the other characters. I do feel yeah. Spider-Man's um, like, you know, like his hesitation, the fact that he gets this these glasses and then gives them away. I wasn't a big fan of the we almost shot Brad with a drone on the bus thing, but you know, whatever. I mean, because that just felt silly and goofy, you know, Um and I think that, like, I I like the emotional stakes for Spider-Man. I like, you know, mm-hmm. like what's going on with him. But I don't know. It just if it does feel like these are different films kind of patchwork together and they don't really work that well together. Not. Yeah. Like the writers are good enough and mm-hmm. the performers are good enough yeah. that you can't you can't just go, well, look, this is obviously the crack where they crammed right. two scripts mm-hmm. together. It's mm-hmm. not to that level. But when you just start looking at the details where you're like, maybe we should have spent a little t- more time on this or that thing, you can't yeah. because we're doing two movies worth of stuff. When you said you like the emotional stakes for Spider-Man, the first thing I wanted to say to you was, I like both sets of emotional stakes yeah, for right. Spider-Man. <laughs> because there really are yeah. like this whole thing yeah. with MJ and his friends. And then right. there's this other thing of, am I going to step up and be right. the new Iron Man? Right. You know, and I do think it's really interesting that this incredibly brilliant science person Mm -hmm. is only ever asked if he's going to step up and be the next Iron Man. It's never talked about if he could step up and be the next Tony Stark. Right. Like that alone Mm -hmm. is another question that like is really interesting and kind of bundled up in that. But we never deal with that because we don't have time. Mm -hmm. But I mean, he's brilliant. Peter is brilliant. Oh, my God. I love that scene where he's um, he's in the plane and he just starts running the the suit maker thing. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's great. And I love that moment. Yeah, he's got it. He figures it all out. He's got it together. I mean, I kind of I love that where he is kind of stepping into that Tony space, you know? Yeah. 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 I mean, it's just, and when you, so when I say to you, when I hear you say, I love the emotional stakes and I'm like, which ones, right? right? Mm -hmm. This really, uh, really bothers me, as I've mentioned, on the Nick Fury side Mm -hmm. and for subtle reasons too, because I bring up that whole, why is everybody bugging him about being Iron Man when you could also be bugging him about being Tony Stark? Like, that's a legit question. Mm -hmm. Tony Mm -hmm. Stark, once he stopped being a self-involved shit heel Mm -hmm. all the time, green energy, new technologies, Mm -hmm. blah, 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 you know, ask those questions. But also for real, this is two movies now Mm -hmm. with an abusive father figure. Two. Yeah. I cannot stand this. I was so angry at Nick Fury the entire time, who is just not a not a good guy. Yeah. And the fact that Fury is also asking him, so are you going to step up and be Iron Man? Like, that's not even manipulative in the way of, I need you to be in a place, so I want to put you there. It's just right. like an emotional punch for no reason. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, it doesn't really get Peter... I mean, it does actually get Peter into where he needs to be. But if you're like good at your job as a spy master, you have subtler methods. Right. Um, and it's why that whole thing like like and I know in the end, I guess it turns out to be Talos. But I just am not dealing. I'm just not dealing with it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm often just quietly wondering to myself how much I need to treat any of the credit scenes as canon. Right. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Do I give a shit? I don't know. You uh. know, so the Fury sledgehammer, the yeah. emotional sledgehammer that Fury brings in mm-hmm. is why I really bought into the instantly giving away Edith to Mysterio. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because you have you have Nick Fury telling you that this person is trustworthy. Yes. Mm-hmm. And if you can't believe Nick Fury about that, who can you believe, mm-hmm. right? I mean, I'm well, saying yeah, as from Peter, the kid's perspective, I don't trust yes. Nick Fury at yes. all. You know, yes. yeah. Mm-hmm. So Nick Fury is saying, this is a solid dude. Mm-hmm. You can trust him, mm-hmm. right? He is clearly, in as much as Peter can tell, because right. his con is very good, a selfless hero guy, yeah. right? 
Like, mm-hmm. this is a guy who isn't just ready to step into the A-team. He was the A-team on his planet. Right. Like, he's ready for this. There's mm-hmm. no learning curve for him. Mm-hmm. Of course I'm going to give him right. the thing. Because I'm 16 and, and not too that much. dialed in. And this guy has yeah. come in and knocked me flat. It's I too much out, to ask right? a kid to do. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And to be able to hand that off to a full-grown man who does this <laughs> shit already, right? You Who's know, already, I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that's a lot to ask of a kid. And you know, and I mean, kind of like he ends up taking it back because he finds out that Mysterio is bad. But in no way does it seem, at least in this, you know, movie, that he has any other reservations about it. You know, and I kind of want to see him. I, I kind of want that struggle to be a little bit internal, too. That like that like yeah, part of sure. him, part of him with great power comes great responsibility, right? Like he always, Peter mm-hmm. always feels that, you know, and the idea that it's his job and he passed it on to somebody else, I think would be something I would want to sit with him. Uh, but again, like we don't yeah. have we don't have space. We don't for have that. time. We don't have yeah. any space for that in this movie, um, which is uh, maybe part of why it's just it's so much half of which like honestly, the the European high school trip hijinks. I'm much less interested in that. You know, than I am in like the Nick Fury, and here is this kid trying, uh, being forced to make like an adult decision, being forced to yeah. like do the adult job, right? And the fact that that is, you know, like for Fury to be putting him in that position, to be looking to a 16 year old kid to be doing this, you know, like that's a lot. It's a lot to ask him, you know, and it's mm-hmm. too much. And there's plenty of other adults that are on the Avengers who have not like buggered off or died or whatever. Like you have other options. <laughs> you have other places sure. that you can go with this, you know. And if you don't, maybe start cultivating some that aren't the 16 year old kid. A 16 year old kid. Exactly. You know, and if it was the other way around where he was like, I really want to be part of this team. I want to do this. If you know, and I mean, this is something that I like, again, this is not the story we're telling, but an interesting angle on this is how do you go back? How do you go back to high school after you've just saved the world like a million times? How do you go back to that life? How do you how do you get your life and your space into that small little like you're never going to feel comfortable. You're never going to feel like you belong there. You're always going to feel a little bit on the outside. So here, if we have this 16 year old kid chasing Nick Fury and saying, I want, I want, I want, I want, gets the glasses, has a little bit of experience at that level and is like, no, can't do this, passes it on to that guy, makes a mistake. That's stout, yeah. Like that's a story. That's a story you've got with this kid who cannot go home again. Like, and especially homecoming, far from home, you can't go home again, right? He yeah. is he has already had these experiences. He is already not a kid anymore, you know? But instead we have this kid, you know, after everything he's been through, this this character is just not gonna be a kid anymore. And neither are his friends. Like they're just not. You know, there's a certain not, loss not of innocence in the way they were, for sure. Yes. Exactly. And and when he's with Ned and MJ, those two can understand that. Like they can be a different kind of kid together, but just them, you know? Um yeah. so yeah. I think that that's like there could have been some really interesting lines of conflict in something like that. We wouldn't have had to make Nick Fury into such an asshole if that chase had originated with Peter. If he was skipping school, if he was, you know, going out, like, I mean, if he was doing all this stuff because you can't go back, you know, Um, I think that that would have been really interesting. And again, that addresses the trauma. We can still have some fun with it. But Mm -hmm, um, but there's mm -hmm. something about it that just feels so incredibly off to me. And like they did need to make a choice. And instead of making a choice, they just shoved everything into this one space and it doesn't it doesn't really work while we're on the subject yes of shitty adults yes i mentioned this a little bit in endgame i don't want to beat this dead horse but i do want to point out that endgame did the motherfucking impossible mm-hmm. and made me go never mind tony stark went out a hero friends <laughs> and i liked it uh-huh. i liked that ending mm-hmm. i mean i even like it and we'll, you know, we're still planning our like uh, our Tony Stark retrospective and our Captain America retrospective, you know, like <laughs> yeah. to look at the arc. So we're going to talk more about this. But mm-hmm. I even like it in terms of him getting there in Avengers and mm-hmm. stumbling and then having to get there again, but more and bigger. Yes. All that stuff works for me. Mm-hmm. But then this movie happens 
10 minutes later, mm-hmm. right? Like, and I mean, yeah. what, did, what did I have? A couple of months? Yeah. I think I had a couple of months. April to July. Not yes. even a year. Mm-hmm. When I was like, that Tony Stark went out good. He's a good dude. And then this movie comes out and I'm like, you gave the 16-year-old who shouldn't have had a murder suit an entire murder satellite. Right. You're back to being a shit heel. Yeah. Like you're right back to, you are right back to the Tony Stark that I hated the entire fucking time. Right. And I'm mad about it because, damn it, you did the work of making me care. And then the, in the Spider-Man movie of all mm-hmm. places, you may, you go, no, nope, never mind. He's still not a very good guy. Right. I don't like it. Yeah. Now I've said my piece. We may move on. We may move on. <laughs> all right. One of the things that I did like about this movie, and that pretty much is the case with all the Marvel movies, is that visually it was really nice. Like I do like oh, yeah, I yeah. do like the weird cloudy fishbowl. I have no head yeah. kind of thing from Mysterio. I think that that's fun. I like the design on him. He does. You know, now that you mention it, I didn't think about it in the movie, but now that you talk about this comes from a very 1960s aesthetic, I completely see that, you know, um, the fishbowl and the I would have given you a link yeah. like I've done before, yes. except he looks like that. He just, like, it's, it's just not, that. The it's colors just are that lighter. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's pretty good. Um, I like the, I, I like the whole thing. The one thing, like, there was a point where all the reality bending of the drones, they're just holograms, but parts of it are actually physically there. Like, how are the drones yeah. creating walls and ceilings and floors and gravity? And, uh, like, all of it confused the hell out of me. I thought it was beautifully done. Like, it looked great, and the drones looked cool, and it was kind of a cool idea. But how mm-hmm, he mm-hmm. how he altered reality to the to the point where like you know i mean we see peter falling through spaces that are not real spaces but he is falling like the the physical experience of them i just got so thrown off by the whole thing i had no idea what the hell was going on i was kind of just assuming yeah that a lot of that was using the area around them because they were in an unfinished building and a construction site. And so, I mean, I just assumed that like they did a good job of explaining the elementals like Uh they're made up of a whole Mm -hmm. bunch of these. And when they punch the bridge, we fire the guns or, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it is a little like, is this right when it when it's more tightly focused on Peter? Right. And since they put it in a construction site, like an unfinished building, I think that's what they want us to do. Yeah. But it's not. And it would have been really cool if they could have done it without kind of breaking the spell of right. what was going on to Peter, uh-huh. it would have been really cool if we could have gotten just like a couple of jump cuts, real quick cuts mm-hmm. to what was going on around him in the real world. Like him so punching nothing. Have, like we'd have some context A little for bit it. of context, right. yes. Yeah. Yeah. Just, yeah. just like, just a little. I don't need much. Just... Listen, especially me, like I'm here for your science, your yeah. superhero science bullshit. <laughs> just nod at it and I'll be like, yeah. good enough. Roll on, you know. Yeah, it just it threw me off. I could not I couldn't wrap my mind. And the thing is, like, I don't I don't try that hard to wrap my mind around it. Like, I'm not one of those people right. who's there like, well, you know, the space time continuum. And this is how the, I don't understand how this shit works. I don't know string theory. I don't care. Like, you know, <laughs> but I'm just like, just make it believable enough that I can be like, yeah. OK, I get it. You know, like, I get what you're doing. Um, So I like the drones. I liked I, I actually kind of liked that it was the, you know, Stark Enterprises disgruntled, uh, you know, a disgruntled employee family tour, you know, kind of thing where everybody. And then when he pulled these people from the old movies, like it was clunky, strong. It was clunky, like the 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 dialogue that they gave him and the way that he said. But like, but I kind of liked that we pulled these people from the past movies and we're yeah. like, all right, they're pissed off. And I was like, okay, let's go. I like well, it. Well, of course they are. Yeah. They worked for that guy. They worked for Tony Stark. So um, yeah, so I, I liked all of that, um, and I I like that he had this crew, um, Mysterio himself. Like the fact that Mysterio wasn't really didn't really care about like spider-man specifically it wasn't personal to spider-man and then at one point he's like oh if you make me kill peter parker that blood is on your hands and i'm like you don't even care about like you don't care about spider-man it should be about spider-man like this is about everything in this movie is about tony stark and that's not the discussion we're having this should be about spider-man it should be about peter parker you know that's just not there's a lot of contention mm-hmm. in the Spider-Man fandom yes. about his portrayal in the MCU, right? Mm-hmm. Like there's a lot of people who are like, 
he's always worked with other people. You know, he's got a suit from Reed Richards. He, yeah. You know, uh, mm-hmm. uh, in in the Civil War story, he gets an Iron Spider suit. You know, from Tony because mm-hmm. he's right. working with Tony. So there's a contingent of people that are like, he's always worked with other people. He's always had mentors, yeah. right? And if I'm honest, I think those people overplay their hand right. because mm-hmm. he has worked with other people and he will take advice and stuff now and then. But mostly Spider-Man yeah. rides solo mm-hmm. or he's in a duo where against all odds, he's the senior partner. Like that happens all the time. And and at a certain level, that actually starts to make sense because remember, he's been doing this since he was 15 and he's like 30 right. now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I say all that to say the people who are like, he's always worked with mentors. You're pushing that mm-hmm. agenda too hard. Mm-hmm. Right. And you don't need to push that that hard because this is a different version of Peter Parker. And considering all the behind the scenes bullshit, Mm -hmm. I don't have a problem with him being brought in as kind of a protege to somebody. Right. right? Mm -hmm. Tony makes a certain amount of sense. Mm -hmm. Putting him in between Tony and Cap makes a lot more sense because on the surface he looks like Tony, but inside he looks like Cap. Yes. Right. Mm -hmm. But they didn't do that either. Mm -hmm. It's all about Tony. And so there's this there's this this push and pull, mm-hmm. right? Like how much should Spider-Man be tied to Tony Stark in the MCU, right? right? Based mm-hmm. on other versions of the character. I'm fine with him being tied to Tony Stark, mm-hmm. but this movie takes it too far. Mm-hmm. Like this is the one that pushes it too far because even the villains are Tony Stark villains. Yeah. Mysterio is traditionally a Spider-Man villain, but Quentin Beck in this movie is an Iron Man problem. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Exactly. At a certain level, why aren't we positioning this as, well, I guess I'll be the new Iron Man because I'm cleaning up his fucking messes right right like that's a legitimate that is something you could a conversation exactly exactly like that could be something really interesting and if spider-man is not i mean stopping him because he's doing bad shit but also stopping him because this is tony's memory this is tony's legacy you're fucking it up i'm doing it to honor tony that'd be amazing see that's personal and that's the thing like nothing in this is really terribly personal and that's um you know he's not even doing it like spider-man just happens to be where this guy is making shit happen otherwise right it wouldn't even be a thing you know and the high school side yeah mm-hmm. is more personal but yeah again because of that sharing the oxygen it's not personal enough it's nowhere near as personal as it was in the first and it's, Spider-Man well, yeah, film and it also feels kind of like a retread of that um, not a to mention bit. that MJ I liked MJ better in the first movie it mm-hmm, feels mm-hmm. like as soon as she becomes like because she wasn't the primary you know romantic interest in that yeah, movie not at all you know? in the first one yeah. um, so here it's we're taking the the um, like the crush that he had like he's just in love mm-hmm. with her um, and playing that over rather than making MJ somebody who is like his you know his somebody who helps him somebody who's his friend somebody who like they connect with it's like the i like when he has this crush on her and her value is all about you know how he loves her as opposed to like she has this value like they try to give her they have her she finds the thing she figures out that he's spider-man you know she makes that accusation like they try to give her some agency i like it too i mean i think there's some good and like that moment i like but i just don't want Mm -hmm. like the 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 forced i'm in love with you romance like let that simmer you know let him last time he was mm-hmm. in love with Liz this time he's in love with MJ you know whatever um i mean like let that simmer let her become part of the team you know somebody that he works with and then build that up slowly i'm also not a real fan of this completely like dark affectation that we have going on with MJ this oh I'm into Black Dahlia and murder you know it's like oh shut up you know like that's so it's completely affected none of that seems terribly genuine and so I don't like it like we have Gwen Stacy from Into the Spider-Verse is this template done right you know, she is. It's better. It's better. She's real punk. Shit. Exactly. But yeah. she's genuine. Like with MJ, it just feels completely affected. So I, I liked MJ in the first movie, um, but I don't like what they did with her character in this one. Um, and then she becomes another damsel. I like a goth Mary Jane in theory. Oh, I like it too. I like the idea right? of it. Yeah. But but yeah, I, I don't I don't know if it's the writing. I don't know if it's. I mean, Zendaya is a, a great actress. I like her yeah. in other things where she has to do like really complex emotional writing. stuff. 
I think it's the writing or the direction or yeah. or a little of both. I yeah. mean, you know, because I just want to love the idea of goth Mary Jane. Yeah. Or I'm sorry, she's not Mary Jane at all in this. Yeah. I like the idea of goth MJ. Right. Mm-hmm. But the actual execution of goth MJ is like really not it's all surface it's level. not authentic it, it is. just does and i don't know shit about being goth and it still is like that's fake as fuck it doesn't it doesn't read as genuine to me it really doesn't read as genuine yeah. to me so yeah i didn't particularly care for that um may and happy dating like a fine i you know <laughs> if he were home Again, if it were just high school hijinks yeah. and he's like, and now I got this shit to exactly. deal with. I don't like you, Happy Hogan, and I don't want my aunt dating you. Awesome. Right. Right. Yes. But instead, it's like, it's no big deal. It's just a joke. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The 16-year-old kid who can not only dislike his aunt's yeah. boyfriend, yeah. but also be like, listen, exactly. I don't think that you want me to start talking spider talk to you. Do you? Like that? Yeah. Right? Yeah. I mean, anyway, I, I not not that this Peter would necessarily go that way, but it's kind of funny if he flirted with it, you know? I mean, well, there's opportunities or, you there. Know, or used his, you know, spider ways to like just sabotage, you know? I mean, like gentle, loving sabotage, sure. How much would we have loved a... Peter runs around as Spider-Man ruining their date montage. Yes. Just oh, like. Yes. 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 Just like yes. webbing his shoe to the ground. Yes. Or just like going and, and, you know, bending the axle on his car. Whatever. Absolutely. You know, just doing. Oh, that would have been delightful. You're a kid with superpowers. You are going to use them for, you know, mischief. It's going to happen. Right. You know. So, um, yeah, I just I. There's so much. And this is the thing. I love Tom Holland as Spider-Man. I love all the stuff they put him through. There's so many things that they could have done with this movie that I think would have been so much more engaging. It is okay that we've got smaller stakes. We can't not have smaller stakes after Endgame. That's fine. But if you've got those smaller stakes, then you've got to play in the in the playground that you've got, which is this internal world for Peter. And without making it personal, without making him, everybody is pursuing him. None of these are his choices. You know, mm-hmm. make him pursue something. Put him in the driver's seat. Make him want this. Make him follow Nick and when Nick's on the you know he's following Nick trying to get into the business and then happens to be there when this stuff happens and happens to save the day and then he's involved like you know you bring him (laughs) into it where he's leaning in rather than leaning away and I think that you've just got a more compelling protagonist as it is it's a lot of great potential and a lot of like missed potential yeah I mean I like this movie it was enjoyable enough yeah it's enjoyable enough. It's a little bit where we're kind of trending towards that Ant-Man and the Wasp thing where mm-hmm. it's like, this is getting away with what it's doing because of charm. Yes. But the difference is this movie is charming, but it's being blown out of the water by, say, Ant-Man and the Wasp's level right. of charm. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and we are to the point now, I think, where any individual MCU movie, it's reasonable for us to discuss it in terms of other MCU movies, mm-hmm. right? Where it feels a little like this, but it should feel more like that one, or they should have struck out on their own. Yeah. And yeah, this one is doing that thing where it's like, is this a mythology movie or is this a personal movie? Right. And it's a little bit of both. And so neither one gets done as well as it could be. Yeah. So I can still like it mm-hmm. and just leave it at like a C plus. It's, I mean, it's fine. C. It's fine. I it's think, fine. I think because of the things that I like though that's when I get more disappointed when there's stuff that I really genuinely yeah, like I the that. more I like it the more disappointed I get all right so Joshua what's your favorite part okay I know that you're gonna think because of what I said earlier yes. that my favorite part in this movie is when he puts on a jester's mask and goes and fights yes. things but that's mm-hmm. not it Aww. that's not my favorite part mm-hmm. I like it a lot because mm-hmm. I like that trope yes. but it's not my favorite my favorite part is at the big final fight mm-hmm. with Mysterio mm-hmm. when he cobbles together a shield and a hammer yeah so he is wearing a suit he built with Tony stuff and he gets a shield like Captain America and he makes makes a hammer that he can swing around and throw. And I was like, oh, thank God you're learning from more than just Tony. Exactly. (laughs) The kid might be all right. The kid because he's learning from more than Tony. Yeah. Yes. (laughs) Lonnie, tell me about your favorite part. I love this moment at the end in the final fight, right? Where he's talking to Mysterio and then he reaches his hand out to the side and grabs the gun 
even though we're still in the reality where everything that he's right. seen doesn't Grabs indicate nothing. that. Yeah. So he's his spidey sense is working. You know, he grabs it. He knows and he stops him from doing it. But he doesn't kill Mysterio. Like no. Mysterio succumbs to injuries that he got legit while stirring shit up. You know, he pretty much did it to himself, you know. No, I love I really like that, yeah. too, for where Mysterio winds up that yeah. the drones don't all attack. Yeah. Because he, they, Edith specifically tells him, you're in the blast zone. And he's like, just do it. I really appreciate that moment because of where we wind up yes. here in your favorite part. Mm -hmm. None of this can be at all Peter's fault. Exactly. This is as it should be. As, absolutely. And it's not his. But he, you know, he grabs the gun and then he says, you can't trick me anymore. And there's yeah. that moment for Peter. I mean, I think a lot of what I get from Peter is is really due to Tom Holland's performance more than what's actually mm -hmm, in mm -hmm. the script. What Tom Holland brings to these moments, you know, when he is really struggling with what's going on here, um, you see that. And like I could see, I could feel that he was really experiencing this, you know, that this was a big moment for him. Um, and then when he, when the guy dies, you know, when Mysterio dies, like the look on his face it's it's devastating you know because he's yeah. not he's not a fucking kid this kid has seen some shit trademark you know what i'm saying and so <laughs> when when we see that in the performance when we see that in the moment when we see that he has to deal with the reality of all of this and what that does to him um it's huge and i just think like god if in the next spider-man movie they can utilize tom holland appropriately give him yeah. some scenery and he will fucking chew it man he's good <laughs> he's yes. good yeah the very understrain peter parker the peter parker who's very emotional and about to break like tom holland kills that oh, every single time they yeah. give it to him now make a story that's worth do that. it yeah write something that yeah you're so right about his face when mysterio is dead because yeah. He's not, not only has he seen some stuff, but he's also a good person. So the death of his enemy does not bring him joy. No. Like, yeah. that wasn't the point of this. And since we, and and this will, this episode will not air for some time. Yes. But in the moment that we're recording it, I have once again found myself in just a little bit of Batman should murder everybody discourse. Oh, no. You know, and I'm just and I'm just looking at it going, if you have to bend yourself into a pretzel to explain why a reasonably decent human being mm -hmm. doesn't murder everybody. Yeah. You are a moral and ethical infant, mm -hmm. whereas Peter Parker is a titan of morality yeah. and ethics, and we should emulate him thusly. Yes. That is what I say. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Well said. Didn't expect to go there, but here we are. I like it. I like it. All right, if you enjoyed this conversation and would like to join in, come find us on Twitter. I am at Lonnie Diane Rich, and Joshua is at Joshua Unruh, and the hashtag is Listen Up, A-Holes. This episode of Listen Up, A-Holes was brought to you by the Chipperish and Pulp Diction producers who support us on Patreon at the power producer level. These people are the reason why Listen Up, A-Holes is coming to you free and ad-free right now, so thank you to our June producers. Abigail, Alice, Crimson Glass, Erica, Jonathan, Kristen, Sarah, Shelley, and April. Thank you, producers, and to everyone who supports Chipperish Media or Pulp Diction Productions, this message is for you. Bitch, please, you've been to space. <laughs> to find out how you too can support Chipperish Media or Pulp Diction Productions, our Patreon links are in the show notes. Other ways to show your support? Write a great review on Apple Podcasts, tell your friends about the show, or fall in love with Spider-Man's aunt. We're Sharon, right? Thanks so much for joining us for this episode of Listen Up A-Holes. We'll be back next time with our discussion of episodes 1 through 10 of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Season 3. Ooh, oh, boy. man, I can't wait. Back to it. <laughs> Until then. Oh, I love Led Zeppelin. <laughs> <laughs>